and true word of God. And we take a step back as we just finished Leviticus, which was a blast to go through, to be able to go through a book we commonly don't, and especially that we're able to see Christ. And between books, we've been kind of a tradition here that we go back to the Psalms to pray. Because if you're anything like me, we don't pray well. I don't pray well. And so it's good for me to have the words given to me by the Lord and the Holy Spirit leads us. And we look at those Psalms today and Jesus in Psalm 11. The Psalm clearly confesses who is the Lord and what he does. And he writes what is some considered to be a lament Psalm. Clearly during a time of danger, he looks to the Lord, not with pure joy or happiness or excitement, but he looks for refuge. And that's the same thing we need, which is why we come to him once again, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word, we have back with us Pastor Nabil Neuer of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and also the fourth vice president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Neuer, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, good morning, my beloved brother Brady. How art thou on this gorgeous day that the good Lord gave to us to serve him and make his name known throughout the ends of the earth? Well, as we hear today, in the Lord I take refuge on this beautiful Monday. Amen. Thanks be <laughs> so, to God for those <laughs> words, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's a wonderful way to start. And I want to start this way, Pastor. Tell us what's going on for you, your family, and the saints at Trinity. Well, uh, I have been richly blessed. Uh, I uh, was in um, Iowa, Minnesota last Sunday, and I was able to proclaim the word for the saints of Trinity in Iowa for their 101 anniversary. I brought them the message of Ebenezer, or Eben Hazar, the stone of help, First Samuel 7, 12, and uh, this um, Afternoon, the Queen, that is my beloved uh, wife, and I will be traveling um, one final trip with our RV, uh, going camping this couple of days, and then this evening I'm going to go to Haywarden, Iowa, to proclaim the word through Know Your Identity. So mm. that's in my life, the congregation is doing uh, just unbelievably amazing. We just uh, invested $180,000 with a concrete uh, parking lot that was in much need for our congregation. And spiritually speaking, we just added another saint into the Lamb's Book of Life through the miracle of baptism, and we will be having another one soon. And the Word and the Sacrament continue to flow through the lips of Jesus, through a sinner like me. Well, thanks be to God for that, Pastor. And I'll, I'll share this with you, our listeners. It's really fun for me because many of the guests that I have, I don't necessarily haven't met them in person. Now, Pastor Newer and I have met, but he meets so many people, and he just has so many people that he has to keep on his list, that we went to a meeting recently in St. Louis, and I introduced myself to Pastor Newer, and he goes, oh, Brady, you are the one on the other side of the microphone. 
<laughs> and so it was just so much fun to be able to to meet you and make that connection, uh, the connections that we had already, but the connections we have, and to be able to speak face to face and encourage each other in the Lord. So I just I just wanted to share that and how much fun that is for us, and and you know hopefully we meet a lot of our listeners as well. It's a lot of fun to connect in the Word of God. So and anything else for us this morning, Pastor? Absolutely. It was a joy, actually. Like you said, I had met you before, but I just did not recollect that. And it was such a marvelous day to really put the eye on top of, you know, the dot and to mark it and say, oh, that's my dear brother whose voice always such an encouragement to me. So Mm, it is good. It's good for us to be in the word, thy strong word that lifts the soul and removes the burden of our guilty conscience because of the Mm. word made flesh. Wonderful. Well, Pastor, on that note, can you begin our time in prayer? Indeed, I shall. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Blessed Lord Jesus, your son David said, In the Lord do I put my trust. For you are my refuge and strength. Help us to remember that today in a culture that is so hostile to Christianity and specifically to the followers of him who is the way. As we read this psalm, Mm -hmm. as we reflect and as we meditate on it, I pray that you would indeed bless our study, that it might strengthen us in our walk of faith and help us to be bold confessor as David was in spite of the fear that was brought upon him because of those who told him to forsake God. Use my lips and the ears of those who will be listening through the radio and through the web um, ministry, Lord, that they might truly know you, that you are the God who is our refuge refuge and strength in times of trouble. For that end, be among us, with us, and use us in spite of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions or thoughts for us this morning as we study and pray Psalm 11, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or send us or call in 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, we, we, you know, between the books, this is always a lot of fun, we take a step back and we pray, and the Lord gives us the words to pray. So I wanted to ask you this question, as a pastor, as a Christian, why are the Psalms important for us as, as, as part of the family of God in Christ? Well, the number one reason, at least for me, both as a pastor and a Hebrew scholar, is that this is the prayer book of Jesus. If mm. you can think of the Psalms, not just as the hymns written by David and Solomon and Asaph and Moses, but specifically the book that Jesus went to most often. It's not that he did not use the other, but that was his prayer book. He would reflect and meditate on the Word of God. So it is important for us as Jesus' followers 
to remember these words and to take them to heart. These words speak about the ups and the downs of life, the troubles that come upon his followers, the downtrodden, the despised, the destroyed. But then he also gives us that beautiful, sweet message of deliverance that comes through him alone. And what a joy to be able to open that written book and read it, whether it's in Hebrew or through the Septuagint or the Greek or Arabic or whatever language you may read it in, to realize these are living words that changes life and changes heart and help us to be truly bold in our trust of our Lord and Savior. So, Pastor, as we look at that, I love how you started us. That this was a prayer book of Jesus, and that and that's a, and it, well, that's a big deal. You know, that's a that's a good thing as we as we look at the Word made flesh to give us a clear conscience, as you said at the beginning. So, here's what I want to um, here's what I want to start with is throughout our time, we'll be going through this verse by verse, but I want to start by us going through the whole psalm. I will read the whole psalm, and I encourage you, our listeners, that this is a time of prayer and an opportunity for you to give an exa- get an example of how you can do something in prayer when you don't know what to pray, or even when you do, knew, do, do know what to pray, that you're able to pray this, and it will always relate, because as Pastor said, it is a living and active Word of God that, that changes our hearts. So I want to start there, Pastor. I will go through Psalm 11. I'll end with the Gloria Patri, and then I want to hear more of your thoughts on the themes or the ideas of this blessed psalm. So Psalm 11, everyone join with me in prayer as we hear the words of our Lord, a psalm of David, Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor, tell us about Psalm 11, maybe some major themes, or how you want to introduce uh, this blessed psalm. Well, let me just say, first and foremost, this is a reflective, I, I would not call it a lament psalm like the other lament psalms we have, Mm -hmm. I would call it a reflective and meditative psalm. Uh, This psalm has seven verses. The first verse tells us where is our refuge and where can we put our trust. And it closes with seven. These are the bookends, verse seven, with the aspect that God is righteous, and we really need to keep that in mind, and he loves the righteous uh, saints. Um, In the center of it, if you take the first three and the last three, right dab in the middle is sort of four verse, 
which is the centrality of it, the temple of the Lord. Uh, the Lord is in his temple, and of course, you transfer that to what Jesus said. Our hearts have become now his t- a temple. We have that in both in the book of Acts and First Corinthians, the temple of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, verses 5 and 6 are so wonderful because the Hebrew word for kos or cup that is translated can be destructive, deathly, or deliverance and delight. And we will talk about that once we begin to swim in the ocean of this word. So, and of course, for us as believers, we need to realize there are seven uh, verses. Seven, of course, is the perfect number. And I'll tie that with Bereshit bara Elohim et In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are seven words in the seven words in Genesis one. There are fourteen words in uh, Genesis one verse two. There is a reason for everything that happened. This is not just haphazardly put together, but mm-hmm. in this reflective psalm, we are to look at the scope from God's perspective, and that is very helpful for us to say and to do. I like what you said, swim in the ocean of his word. Um, that is a good reminder of to, uh, we're swimming. And I've heard one person say, we're swimming in our baptism. I mean, that, that's another great reminder for us as we read this. It is all gift, and it points us to the perfection of our Lord and our need for him. So, Pastor, I think it's, I think we're ready to start digging into let the me, text. Let what me do you think? add one as a caveat, as we begin, Brady, may Please. I ask the may I ask the same some question? Sure. What are you afraid of today? And would you be willing to take a job, maybe in the political arena, maybe a police officer, maybe as a Christian? Cake Baker, are you willing to teach in a school where evolution is the predominant voice? Are you willing to be a pastor who will say homosexuality is wrong? There are so many fears in our world. So many people are afraid of our culture, our society. And Christianity seems to be squeezed out. There are so many things that are so strong that they'll keep us away from being honest. There's the fear of persecution, the, pe- the fear of what people might think of me, the fear of being misunderstood for speaking the truth and love, the fear of being forced to do something against your own conscience, and the fear of even imprisonment. If, you're in, if you make the wrong move or if you proclaim that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Not all the roads lead to heaven. There's only one, the cross of the crucified and risen Christ. So for those who are listening and those who will listen to us later, these questions are paramount because this is the society David wrote his uh, psalm. It is in the midst of that fear, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of trouble, that he 
uh, emphasize this truth as he began the opening statement of um, verse 1. So, Pastor, let's do it that way. I'm just going to start in verse 1, and I'm just going to read that beginning that we said is a bookmark. You know, excuse me, the the beginning and the end uh, is very important for us to understand. So in verse 1, he says these words. I want to hear your thoughts. In the Lord Yahweh, I take refuge. Right there, Pastor, I think we could talk the next hour on what that means. But where do you want to begin just with that? Because he restarts us off with the identity, as you said, of God. So what does this tell us? Well, number one, David is a weak man in the sense there are so many who are accusing him and attacking him. Most of the images of David we have, which is rightly so, is as a lad, he went against a nine-foot named Goliath, right? He said, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the living God. So we do know this man is courageous. But even a courageous man have his moment of weakness, okay? It doesn't make a difference. But here, the key element of David, when he says, in the Lord, I take refuge, he is saying completely, Lord, I trust you no matter whatever happens. My trust is so great. And in the Hebrew, it says, uh, it's a perfect translation in the, Greek, in the English also, that refuge comes to me in Yahweh. Okay? And he found comfort uh, in that. And if we connect that to Psalm 46, the Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. To say these words is to take God at his word that he can be trusted to deliver. Oftentimes, myself included, but maybe you too, brother, mm-hmm. we are strong until the rubber hits the road, and then there is weakness. We hear divorce. We hear cancer. We hear there is nothing that we can do. And David reminds us all of the above are part of a fallen world, uh, world, excuse me, but in the Lord we have comfort because he is our refuge. And that's very important. I mean, he starts right off the bat. This is my foundation. This is my strength. This is my hope that I trust in the Lord God. And what a trust he has. And I used this illustration a long, long, long time ago. Maybe you have, Brady, maybe you've heard it. There was a gentleman... Uh, in the late uh, 30, early 40s, who strung a tight wire between Niagara Falls on the north and the south between America. And he went up there with a wheelbarrow. First, he walked without a wheelbarrow. And he says, do you trust me that I can do it? Absolutely. Then he said, "Um, do you think I can do a wheelbarrow on this? Oh, absolutely, he did. 
and then finally said, do you trust me that I can take a person in this wheelbarrow and get him to the other side? Oh, absolutely. Are there any volunteers? No one raised his hand. (laughs) We may laugh, but it is truly the trust that David has realizing there are those who say, why do you put your hope in God? Why do you trust God? Why do you believe that God is your refuge? You should look and go, look at all the wicked, how they prosper, how they do that. But David is saying, be Yahweh, in the Lord, I find comfort and strength. He is literally, using the analogy illustration I use, he is literally sitting in God's wheelbarrow, with both of his hands and leg inside and say, Lord, you push me where you want me to take. Most of the time, I'll sit in the wheelbarrow, but I want one leg in the, uh, on the inside and one leg on the outside because then I want to control which way we go. But mm. David says to us, in the Lord, I take refuge. And that's very paramount for us to comprehend and to understand. It really is something where... I like how you started, because it's true, is that David admits, first of all, who the Lord is, and at the same time admits who he is, which he is, um, this goes back to the children's song, I am weak, but he is strong, and he's confessing that right away. The Lord is my refuge, which means he's God, I'm not, he's strong, I'm not. And why is it important for Mm -hmm. the Christian to always keep that in mind, that we indeed are weak, but he is obviously strong. Why is that important for us? We have about four or five minutes left before we move on well, to our break. Just go ahead. What the Lord, just remember what the Lord said. Greater is he that's in you that's he that's, he that's in the world. Okay? This is from John. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. remember that the devil is always trying to trip us and cause us to doubt. Adam and Eve doubted. How many times do we doubt, okay? Look at Martin Luther, who taught and everybody questioned him. Why do you think you are, uh, you are the best theologians in the world, right? So uh, when David's bringing this to the forefront, he says, you know, the world may be against me, but I have the strength of the Lord. And remember what Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We as Christians tend to look at things around us, but we do not see the greatness and the power of God who sustains our every breath and who takes care of our every moment of our lives. As we are reminded, through the David, every day of my life have been written in your book. They're all marked. And that's where David is drawing his reflective moment in spite of his fear. And especially when people say to him, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird? How can you say that to me? I am fleeing into the bosom of Christ. That's what David is saying And that is why it is so important for us as his followers to go to him first and foremost, even though he's not visible, yet he promises through his word he will accomplish 
everything that is necessary for our salvation. And he has, of course, through his death and resurrection. It reminds me of when it says, uh, my eyes look to the hills, where does my help come? You know, and he, he doesn't say, don't look to the hills, don't flee to the mountains, flee to the Lord and look to the Lord, is exactly how David is writing this. And Pastor, I really want to, you've, you've changed my whole mindset of this psalm, because is it a lament? Yes. But more importantly, it is a reflection as David look, looks at his life and reflecting on what people are saying. So Pastor, we have only have a few minutes before our break. I want to get through verse 3. And then we can reflect on that portion and then come back to it on the other side of our break. So uh, I want to continue on through verse three, as you mentioned already, the fleeing part. So we continue. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend and bow, and they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, Pastor, as you said, this is a reflective solve. So he's established who God is um, in real and for him. And then he talks about fleeing and the wicked and the foundations. What is he talking about? Well, remember what Jesus said in Mark 7, a wise man built a house on a rock. A foolish man built his house on sand. If we are grounded in him who is the rock eternal. As I said, Ebenezer, the God who helps us, we will not be shaken or moved or destroyed or collapsing. This is why David in Psalm 121, one of the Ascend Psalm, tells the pilgrim to keep their eyes to the temple, but more importantly, what's in that temple? Where I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who is in the temple, occupies the temple, and gives to us from his temple the benefit. And in this uh, specific portion here, he said, what can the righteous do? To continue to trust in God in spite of the wickedness. We look at the wicked world that we live in today, and that was why my introduction, are we willing to be a police officer knowing full well that if you stood up for the right thing or you shot a criminal, you could be persecuted or put to jail? Or will you become a pastor knowing full well if you say transgender is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, lesbianism is wrong, then you could be put in jail. Or if you are a Christian baker, you're not going to be baking a cake for two women or two men that you could be going to jail or lose your money. That's what David is talking about. What can the righteous do to continue to find God as his refuge? and to put his trust in his God alone. The world around us is evil, wicked. Satan has no other reason than to destroy the little lambs of Jesus. But Jesus promised, no one will snatch you out of my hands. Why? Because he is the faithful shepherd. His staff and rod are with me, and they protect me from the calamity of this world. And even if I were to die... I'm confident because of the rock eternal, I shall live with him. This is why he said, though the wicked may sharpen their arrows and pull them up to destroy the wicked, but God is sustaining my life. That's the foundation of the believer. 
That's the foundation of him who hope in Jesus Christ for life and for salvation and for everything that is in between. So, Pastor, right now, I want to talk a little further based on that foundation that you brought up after our break about the question of, okay, so what is that foundation and can it be destroyed? But we need to take our break right now. We are studying and praying the blessed Psalm, Psalm 11 with Pastor Nabil Noor, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 11 with Pastor Nabil Neuer from South Dakota. And Pastor Neuer, it is something that we ended and you were speaking about the foundations. And, and, and this really is a psalm that lays the foundation for us to understand God and how we are to look to him during times of reflection, lament, and how you look at the psalm. So a question that did come in via email was a question of verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the listener asks this question, what are the foundations that David was speaking of? What are your thoughts? Well, remember um, what did the Israelites have with them for 40 years in the wilderness? God provided the rock, right? The rock went with them out of the, out of the rock came water that nurtured and nourished the people in a hot, dry ground. I will be coming to that in verse 5 and 6. But the foundation is none other than Yahweh. That is the rock. He's the rock eternal. I've never done a word search on rock in the Old Testament, but it is in the hundreds because the image, you know, the rock that is given to us. And that rock will never be destroyed. Remember what uh, St. Matthew tells us in chapter 16, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter told them, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in the background of that place is the temple of Pan, where they had multitude of different um, deities that they worshipped. And Jesus said this, and I want you to hear very carefully what was spoken by Jesus. Uh, Peter, this was not given to you by man, but was given to you by Father. And I say to you, heaven and hell will pass away, but um, not one word will be passed away. And upon this rock, I I shall build my church. Those words were spoken at the entrance of the gates of hell during that time when sacrifices for the devil were made. And Jesus in that location says, that church is going to be built, not on you, Peter, per se, but on the confession that you have made and the rock that you are, I'm speaking about is me. That's the foundation David understood. That rock will never be destroyed or crushed or taken away from us. That's the foundation that we need, because Jesus is eternal. Nothing will destroy him, because he has destroyed the destroyer and the liar and the devil. And I hope I answered that question for the saint who called or emailed us. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that pointing us back to Yahweh, our rock and our foundation. So, Pastor, anything else in those first three verses before, as you said, we get to the center of it literally and theologically in verse four, verses one through three, anything else? Yes. Remember, uh, look at uh, the beginning of verse two, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. Everywhere we look around, our society is so conflicted right now because it seems like Christians have no voice anymore. They're just timid and scared and afraid because it seems like all the wicked are out there to destroy us and decimate us. And we lose focus rather than looking at He who is our Savior, our refuge and strength, we look at what they are doing and the wicked, and we say, they're coming after me with their arrows. But God says, wait a minute. The righteous will remain steadfast because they are mine. And that's the key element. And it is very helpful for us to daily stand on that one foundation, the rock eternal, and to remember, storms may come, troubles will come, trials will come, but they will draw us ever closer to Jesus. As the brother of our Lord, James said, consider it all joy when trouble comes your way. And you got to say, are you kidding me? You want <laughs> me to be in jail? What's wrong with you? Get This is come in essence what is happening right here. Let not the society or the culture or the movement of what's going on be bold confessor of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for you and for me. So, Pastor, let's get to the center of this theology, the, the psalm. It obviously points us, once again, to Yahweh being our foundation, our refuge, and it tells us a little bit more about him. Verse 4. The Lord Yahweh is in his holy temple. The Lord Yahweh's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. Now, Pastor, when I read this, at first, it reminds me of that song, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See. <laughs> Be careful, you know. Yep. Um, it, it reminds me, wait a second, the Lord is watching everything. And he is, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians, that everything is under subjection to him. So that's been quite terrifying. How should we read this in light of that? Well, uh, let me first answer it the way I do catechesis. Sure. And secondly, I'll do it in relation to the theology of this psalm. When I do uh, the theology in catechesis, I tell my saints God sees everything, knows everything. There are two positions in that. One, he sees us when we sin, and we got to be aware of that because it could damn us. But at the same time, God sees everything, and he comes to deliver us and to comfort us. Both of those are really, really important for us to know. God sees all things while we are sinning, and while we are in trouble, and he's there at both times. But here, in this specific text, which is the centrality of this, David reminds himself of the Lord's position. That is, no matter what happens in this world, God is in his temple. It's his holy temple. 
Thus the Lord's throne is in heaven. That's the temple of the Lord. So David reminds himself of the Lord's position. And you and I need to remind ourselves that though we may have trouble, but we ought to know that God is in his holy temple. Um, Another word to look at this too, Brady, is that the word temple can be translated palace or throne. So it is very important for us to understand this is a place of authority, the place of holiness, the place of righteousness, the place of beauty. It's a unique, special place, a holy place that God is there on that throne of his in his holy temple. And in this place, he is giving us the picture of everything that is good for us, that which condemn us by keeping the law when we don't, but at the same time, that which brings comfort to us. Here is how David writes, the Lord in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see his eyelids dust, the children of man. God sees all of that, and we are privileged to see that from our perspective. And that should us both give us fear, but give us comfort, knowing both of these two elements are so important for us, because the wicked is always going to be out there. We have to remember that the temple of the Lord is none other than your heart and mind. In Acts, we know that we have been uh, told that the Lord is in his temple, that is our heart. And that's very important, very important for us to realize and to say to ourselves, the Lord has his position in my place. He is number uno in my life. And that's where the righteous dwells. This is where the person who follows Jesus can find comfort even when people rebel against him and try to destroy him. And to be in the Lord's hand or in the Lord's position so that we might know the truth and to respond correctly correctly to what he would have us respond to. How can we live in this stinking world without letting that stink be connected to us so that we might uh, uh, smell with the fragrance of God like Psalm 45, 8 reminds us of. God is in control of our lives. He sits enthroned, and he is the one who sees us in our hour of need, and he helps us when we are weak. Even when we break his commandment, he is gracious for us because he sees our weakness, and he comes to deliver us. And it's helpful when you look at this Brady and beloved saints out there, when you look at all of the first testament, that's the Hebrew scripture, in that what what is the major theme of the first testament? It is this. God's people, God delivers the people. They rebel against God. He sends them out uh, by other uh, people taken captive, they cry to God, and God delivers them again. You see that over 
and over and over again. And you say to yourself, don't you get it? <laughs> don't you get it? And yet they end up doing the same things. So, Pastor, I want to read verse 5. I want us to pray verse 5 as well and, and ask this question. It says twice, verse 4, test the children of man. And then it says he tests the righteous. And I want to get your thoughts on, once again, that can be quite terrifying. Wait, wait, wait a second. If God gives me a test, I'm going to fail. So, Pastor, I want to read verse 5. I want to hear your thoughts. The Lord Yahweh tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So, Pastor, you, you've laid the groundwork very well in the perspective of how God sees this. One, he lives in us. Uh, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. At the same time, he says kind of some terrifying words. He tests the righteous. He tests the children of man. What is, how are we to see that? Well, uh, let me just use the Scripture to clarify Scripture. There mm -hmm. are tests that are brought forth to remind us that God is in control and to see if we trust him completely. First, let me take you to Genesis chapter 22, when God told Father Abraham to take his son, his only son, to sacrifice him on the uh, Mount Moriah, right? And so David, excuse me, um, Abraham did that, right? And he was called the friend of God, just like David. Then think of Job. Job was being tested, okay? Why does God do this? Don't ask me, because I'm not God. I'm only a servant of God. But why does God do this? To see his people, that they will be bold enough to trust him completely. And here is the irony of both of these men that I've mentioned. Father Abraham trusted that even if he would slay Yitzchak, laughter, he would raise him up from the dead. And if you look over to Job, mm -hmm. his wife told him, curse God and live. He says, should we who have been blessed to receive from God good not receive bad? The test can be interpreted as bad, but who said that? In whose economy are we talking about? But when you look at the economy of God and his testing in my life, testing is for the benefit of making us strong. If you remember when you were in college or even at the seminary, when we were taking a test, what did we do? We studied all night. We memorized. We did all of these things. Tests are salutary things. They can be dreadful because we all flunk from time to time. Okay? I remember I mm -hmm. flunked my Greek the first time I went through it. But <laughs> God is gracious. That's right. <laughs> God is gracious, and he gives us the opportunity. When it comes to passing the test of righteousness, none of us will ever pass the test except one, and that is Jesus Christ. Touching on the lives of the two, and I'll add one more. Abraham failed miserably when he gave his wife, Sarah, and tried to peddle her as his sister. Okay? Mm, he blew mm -hmm. it big time. Mm -hmm. Think of Job, 
who blew it many times. He wanted to die because he couldn't stand the test. And in chapter 37 and 38, there are 77 questions asked by God of Job. Where were you? What do you know about me? Can you put the limits to the water? Are you able to put the stars? And of course, uh, Job is silent because he had failed the test. And how about David, the man we are talking about, the man who trusts in God? What does he do? He becomes a murderer, an adulterer, a peeping Tom. He breaks all of the commandments. And yet, he said, it is better to fall into the hands of God than the hand of man. That's Mm. the test of a righteous man, knowing we blow it, and yet realizing that is... um, the test can be frightening, but we can take great, great comfort. That is a great reminder for us. I mean, if you want to be tested by somebody, who better be tested than by God? And knowing that God is righteous, that God is a refuge, and that God loves righteousness. And guess what? He gives us that righteousness, his own righteousness. Now, Pastor, I want to do this, is I want to get the last two verses because we have about eight minutes left in our time. And then to, after we get done with those verses, to come back and, and get to the implications of this psalm for the Christian today. So verses six and seven, as he gets to some more um, words about the wicked. Verse six, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord Yahweh is righteous. He loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. So he has a uh, dichotomy of the wicked and the righteous. So in a few minutes, uh, what, what is he getting to? Let me first, specifically at the end of verse 6, where he talks about the portion of the cup. Let me just share that the Hebrew word for cup is kos, kaf, o, mm-hmm. um, and s. Okay? And it shimmers with salvations or boils with destruction. Both of those is the Lord is our uh, cup. He can over overflow with it, like Psalm 23 tells us, but he can also destroy the wicked with that. It can be both positive and negative. And it is a chalice that is brimming with fire for the wicked and sulfur with scorching heat. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, warned the people, the Jewish people, of the Lord's cup of wrath a cup of horror and destruction that will come Mm. upon the wicked. And here is the key element. This is why I said this is so important for us. We cannot go over that very lightly. In Gethsemane, the crucifixion loom. Jesus prays, my father, my father, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The Lord's will was done. And please look at this image through your eyes of faith. The Lord's will was done when Christ tilted back his head on the cross and drank down to the dredge the liquid judgments of fire, sulfur, and scorching wind. And then he cried out with a loud voice, to tell us, die, it is completed, it is finished. Then having drained that cup of woe, he refilled it with the blood of his own divine life to pour his salvation 
on our sin-parched lips. That's the beauty of what happens to the righteous. The wicked will be rained the cup of vengeance and wrath upon, but the righteous, they will receive the cup of salvation and rejoice that their sins are forgiven. And that's why, for the Lord is righteous. He loves the righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And only those who see Jesus as the one who took the cup of God's wrath completely in his body on the cross will be called righteous because their sins are forgiven. And Jesus brings the spoil of the war and gives them to his father and says, Father, Nabil, Brady, Faith, Joan, Parry, or whatever name you want, these are the spoil of the victory that I have won on the cross of Calvary. This is the image of a picture of beauty. Wickedness, destruction. Righteous by the deeds of Christ, salvation. Death to the wicked, life to the righteous. Darkness and gloom for the wicked, sunshine and hope and joy for the righteous. The distinction between the two are so prominent that we truly communicate by God's grace so that we might remember we have, made right, we have been made righteous through swimming in the ocean of God's Word connected to the water in baptism. Hmm. Receive this sign of the cross on your forehead and on your chest to mark you as one redeemed by his blood. That's where your righteousness and mine. And then we give them the cloth and say, take this to remind you of God's holiness and righteousness. I am not righteous by my deeds. My gosh, I'm the chief of sinners, more so than Paul. Hmm. Yet, I have been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. And normally how I share that with my beloved saints at the congregation, I say, if you can look at my hand, that would be me. And in front of me, the other side is God. And then Jesus brings the other hand, my left hand over my right. So when God looks at me, he sees none of my faults, failures, or falters. He sees a faithful Christ who died for me. That is my righteousness, and I shall see him as he is, the God of my salvation, and rejoice in his saving work of my life. That we, like saints before us, may see him face to face is kind of is really how he ends this beloved psalm. Pastor, as, as a pastor, um, we look at this psalm. When would you encourage, we have about, we have a few minutes left here. When would you encourage one of your beloved members uh, or the other people you talk to, when would you encourage them to pray this psalm? Just about two minutes left. Well, you know, any day is a great day to do this because Mm. every day we are in the word. And I love the title of this program, Thy Strong Word, right? Mm -hmm. And so any day is a good day. 
but the day specifically when it seems like the wicked are prospering and we are faltering. When things are not going well, that is something. And so we take comfort in that. This is why I love to pray the Psalms. This is why I often say to my saints, pray the prayer of God's book or Jesus' prayer book. Remember that as much as possible, study that because those are words of truth and of hope and of life and of salvation and assure us and guarantee that through these words, we become strong in him. Why is that? Because the Lord is our refuge. There's never a day when we do not need to be refuged because we're all sinners, whether we intentionally sin or just unknowingly sin, we need to be reminded again and again of God's grace for our lives. And that is so important. So to answer the question simply, every day pray the psalm, but more importantly, in the days where you are really facing the wicked one who is trying to destroy your life, that's where we take comfort in. And as you read this text, um, Pastor, about 30 seconds, you started us by asking, what do you fear? As we look at what we fear, you went down the list. We maybe fear being a, a cop or being a teacher or even a pastor. When you read this psalm, how does this give us a clear conscience? About 30 seconds left. Well, simply by saying, Lord, I am weak, but thy, uh, you are strong. Mm. Uh, realizing there are moments when I'm as strong as I can get, and there are those moments when I'm really weak. And so you rely on him because he is your refuge. You run to him, you find hope in him, and you continue to nurture, to be nurtured and nourished by him. And this is why I stress upon the saints to gather in his temple. There he's going to give you the cup of salvation. There he's going to give you pardon to overflowing. There he's going to strengthen you through his word, realizing that that word is going to have a great emphasis on your life and change you for the better. Pastor Nabil Noor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, helping us to pray God's strong word from Psalm 11. Pastor Noor, thank you again for giving us his gifts. Thank you. To God be the glory, and may the saints be edified through our discussion and invite the others to call in and send the questions the next time. God's peace be with you and all of the people who make this possible, especially Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Since if our Lord keep praying, in the Lord we can take refuge. It reminds me of the wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and it says, Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, Thy hand hath provided. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pray this psalm, because there we have nothing to fear, and there we are able to see our Lord Jesus. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us this morning, and may he keep you safe in the palm of his hands.